Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. August is underway and it's a great month for sports. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you can find it. From baseball's marquee matchups to college football, including prop bets and futures, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip off, face off, or pitch, Head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Podcast Network. We have a very special guest with us today, Amy Perko, who is the Chief Executive Officer uh, of the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics. Uh, this is a very um, important group, uh, and Amy has been uh, on the commission since 2005. Uh, she served as its executive director um, beginning back in uh, 2016 and is now the CEO. Uh, this is, uh, again, a very important group that has adopted a number of uh, recommendations for the NCAA and for uh, collegiate sports in general. And um, Amy has a wonderful background, and we're so glad that she's with us today. She's worked for the NBA. Uh, she uh, is formerly in the athletics department for the University of Kansas. She has a master's uh, of sport management uh, from the University of Richmond, and she's also a Wake Forest alum with her BA in history. So Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. So, uh, Amy, let's let's get into this a little bit. Can you tell us tell us uh, tell me and the listeners what, what is the Knight Commission all about? Yeah, great question. The Knight Commission is an independent leadership group whose purpose is to lead transformational change to prioritize college athletes' education, health, safety, and success. Um, the commission is funded by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. And our commission members are current and former university presidents, uh, university trustees, former college athletes um, who are respected leaders in, in their fields. And all of those uh, leaders share the common uh, belief in the purpose of college sports and um, in its role um, in the development of college students, as well as uh, its role on, on university campuses. And so the commission does have a legacy of, of uh, leading um, some major reforms within the NCAA. Um, its initial work was primarily focused on increasing graduation rates and aligning some of the incentives in college sport with uh, the educational outcomes. And the reforms that 
that we propose that were adopted have actually um, helped helped uh, result in record high um, athlete graduation rates that we see today. Wow. No, that's, uh, and I tell you, I mean, like, I guess if I were sort of looking at this and obviously I've done some research on the Knight commission, but, um, you know, I think obviously the number one goal would be right to get, you know, get students to graduate, uh, from college. Right. Cause otherwise what's the purpose of going to college if you're not going to graduate. Right. <laughs> unless, unless of course, you know, as Elon Musk would say, you, you, uh, if you drop out of college, it's to, form a company and, you know, become a billionaire, <laughs> but that's right. obviously not, that's not everybody's path. Um, so in looking at the Knight commission, um, obviously you guys put out this great report, uh, you know, highly suggest anybody to take a look at it, but some of the, um, transformational recommend transformational recommendations were, uh, number one was allowing college athletes to earn compensation from third parties for the use of their name, image, and likeness. Uh, changing the NCAA's revenue distribution system, uh, three, restructuring D Division I college sports, four, reorganizing NCAA Division I governance, and five, adopting uh, governance principles to maintain college uh, athletics as a public trust. So <clears throat> obviously on the minds of all of us, right, is this new NIL scheme that's been introduced. And so what is sort of your thoughts on, uh, how that's played out thus far. I mean, obviously the student athletes are beginning to profit from their NIL, but what would a sort of your, your sort of insight on uh, how the current market is looking and um, sort of how it's playing out with individual States having laws, universities sort of having uh, different ways of going about this in terms of starting their own programs, uh, whether it be platforms or what have you. Um, sure. And, and let me give you a little background on NIL and the Knight Commission that I think helps, uh, again, emphasize the commission's role. And our role really has been to serve as a think tank and, and get out in front of the issues that we see coming um, as it relates to the primary uh, mission of college sports. And it was back in 2008, um, prior to Ed O'Bannon filing a lawsuit against the NCAA over the use of images of former athletes in video games. But it was 2008 when we first held a meeting in Washington, D.C. and invited um, some former athletes to come and share their perspectives on what was then, you know, emerging technologies where the avatars in video games began looking an awful lot like the actual athletes. Uh, there were uh, fantasy games popping up as well. And, and we stated at that time, uh, that the current, the NSA policies in, in effect at that time, um, you know, were, were not fair in that third parties were able to profit off the use of the images, but not the athletes themselves. So, so this issue has been, you know, debated and, and it has um, evolved uh, over the years, as well as, as what, as technology has evolved in, in social media and social media influencers really I think became a tipping point in terms of um, helping to push forward uh, the change, changes that are in effect today um, that, that went into effect July 1 that allow college athletes to earn compensation for the use of their NIL from third parties. Um, the commission um, 
put forth several principles um, April of 2020 to help advance and guide new rules on NIL. Unfortunately, the NCA did not adopt its own policies because of it was concerned about the litigation that it was involved in and, and that was somewhat related. But uh, the bottom line is, you know, we're, we're glad to see the new opportunities. However, uh, we're, we're concerned that there's not uniformity and there are some guardrails, if you will, that we had proposed that we, we thought were essential to, to ensure that these opportunities don't um, devolve into just strict pay for play. And, um, you know, we're concerned about the patchwork of, of laws um, that do differ and do vary. And, you know, one of the things about, you know, college sports is that all of these schools are competing for a national championship uh, opportunities. And, and there's a reason that, uh, you know, you like to see uniformity and approach as it, as it relates to um, the opportunities uh, provided to athletes. So we're hopeful that um, there can be some changes to develop uniformity, which um, the bottom line that will ultimately help the athletes as well. Right. No, and that's so important, right? Because at the end of the day, this is about the athletes, right? Providing them with a good platform um, for success in college and even outside of it. And I agree. I think the state law um, approach was an interesting one because, you know, interestingly, rights of publicity uh, have been on the books for years, you know, by case law or by statute. I mean, the one in California has been around since I think 1975. And so it was just a matter of these states kind of pushing the NCAA. And as we all know, that July 1st date was, was a, a date put in by states. It wasn't put in by the NCAA and sort of they kind of followed along. Um, and it has been interesting. I kind of figure, and let me know what your thoughts on are on this, but I figure that you know, eventually the NCAA is going to have some sort of national policy that's going to say, if you want to be a member institution, you have to follow these guidelines. And then maybe state law will differ, you know, uh, here and there. Like when you compare Georgia's to, you know, California's, it's going to be different, at least the way it's laid out now. And then I guess the next piece is this idea of, and I've, I talked about this in um, last week's podcast, but this idea of sort of how this affects agents and attorneys in colleges, because you look at all these platforms that are being introduced. Like if you look at the open doors and Twitter partnership or the open doors and uh, overtime elite league partnerships, where essentially it just allows the athlete to go directly to the platform, pick a brand that's available and then start promoting product. So it's, it's really an interesting thing. And you, you, know, you nailed it on the head when you're talking about influencers what are your kind of what's your insights on that in terms of um, having athletes go directly to platforms and be, you know begin to profit from the NIL or or do you think that matters less and it's just more about just having the opportunity? Well, in the, in terms of uh, the innovation, and this is the bottom line, we think uh, the commission and and I personally think it's a very good thing that athletes are able to participate in this innovation economy 
uh, just like college students can. And so from a principal standpoint, that's um, the driving, um, you know, the driving principle in terms of this change. Um, in terms of, you know, just going back to the, the, the concerns we have in terms of things that still need to be tightened up, um, in, in today's environment, as we speak, pro sports have a more regulated environment as it relates to player endorsement than college sports. And um, that, that's a concern. Um, pro sports, of course, have systems in place that they regulate endorsements to ensure that there's not salary cap manipulation on the part of the ownership. Um, college sports, we put forth several uh, guardrails. One was to uh, prohibit institutions from being involved in setting up NIL deals because that just becomes uh, a pay for play system. Uh, number two, that um, there be some independent oversight to ensure that you know, the deals are legitimate and this is fair market value. And then three, that uh, the, the athletes could not use university trademarks. Um, none of those uh, guardrails are really in place. The NCAA did adopt an interim policy that um, prohibits paper play and prohibits recruiting inducements. Um, but it's, it's unclear, um, given some other factors with the Austin decision, uh, the Austin ruling by the Supreme Court, and, and some other issues in terms of how much the NCAA will enforce those two overriding uh, restrictions. Right. No, that makes sense. And it's going to be interesting, right, I think, Amy, to see how that all plays out in the coming months and years. Because on one hand, you know, there's the competitive side, which says, well, having states kind of have their own laws is good for competition. But then, of course, the compliance stuff is going to be very difficult, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing because more compliance means more jobs, uh, you know, for people who want to work in athletic departments. So, and of course, we can kind of see that already happening with, uh, uh, you know, partnerships like with Altia Sports Partners and some of these other groups that are having this sort of internal education aspect to, um, in addition to sort of using technology to grow. So um, kind of taking a step back a little bit, can you, can you share with us a little bit, you know, a little bit your background, Amy, and kind of how you got into sports and how you got into the Knight Commission and, um, and sort of where you see the Knight Commission going from here? Sure, absolutely. Um, I, I grew up and, and just, Played every sport I could, loved sports. Um, was fortunate enough to um, have a basketball scholarship at Wake Forest. Enjoyed my time immensely there as a student and um, on the basketball team. And knew that I, I wanted to um, pursue a career in sports. Um, and so I've, I've been fortunate in, in the organizations I've been able to work for and the jobs I've been able to do um, after getting my master's degree starting out at the NCAA um, and then going on to the University of Kansas and and when I was uh, the associate AD at Kansas the Big 12 it was in the very initial years of the Big 12 so um, you know I was um, 
part part of the leadership there at Kansas and and within the Big 12 Conference in terms of um, new ways of doing uh, championships and and um, you know working with a brand new conference. Um, and then went on to work with the NBA as they developed their um, men's development league, which is now the G League, um, serving as the first team president of, of one of their very first teams. Um, but, but found in my experience with um, the NBA that my passion really was in the um, educational mission of college sports and you know, have been working with the Knight Commission and, and its work to really reinforce and strengthen uh, the educational uh, purpose of college sports. So that's a kind of an overarching, um, you know, background on on my progression. And then in terms of you know the commission's uh, current work and focus, of course, you did mention the reports that the report that we released in December, and. I would say, you know, throughout its history, the commission has issued reports at other times. And just to give you a sense of, um, you know, some of the issues, when, when we released a recommendation back in 2001, uh, and this is before my time with the commission, it was that teams be on track to graduate at least half their players in order to be eligible for an NCAA championship. When, when that recommendation was released, it was, it was criticized as being idealistic. Well, the commission stayed with it and persisted. And it, 10 years after that recommendation was initially released, uh, the NCA adopted that recommendation. And now it's just, uh, you know, not, not viewed at all as, as uh, you know, something that shouldn't be there. And, and administrators and coaches alike believe that that, um, you know, that that bar, if you will, has helped to uh, lead to the higher graduation rates. And so that's that's the type of, you know, re recommendation that we've we've put forward in terms of ensuring that the incentives in college sports are grounded in that educational mission. But our most recent report was transforming the D1 model. And that was released uh, last year um, before. Obviously, this has been a very historic summer in terms of a number of big um, events that have occurred that raised some questions about what Division I will look like in the future. But one of the bold recommendations in that report was that it is time to separate, to overhaul the NCAA Division I structure and create a new entity, a separate entity to govern FBS or big time football. And then let the NCAA continue to govern basketball and all of the other, the 30 other men's and women's sports that uh, it, it hosts national championships for. Um, there's a big misunderstanding. As popular as big, big revenue football is, there's a huge misunderstanding about who controls it and how it's structured and how it's governed. The college football playoff is managed outside of the NCAA structure. The NCAA receives zero in revenue from big time football. The NCAA's budget and all of its functions at the national level are supported by the March Madness tournament. Um, and, and so there, there are a lot of issues that stem from that. There's 
a dysfunction in the governance. Uh, FBS football schools control the NCAA. They get more seats on the board. They get more seats on uh, championship selection committees for every other sport, even though, uh, you know, Division One basketball is the unifying sport among Division One. 100% of all uh, Division One schools offer basketball, only 38% offer FBS football. Um, and, and we believe our model will better serve football athletes as well, because football athletes in our model would be involved in the governance, would be involved in decisions about CFP expansion. And again, those decisions, you know, currently are being made by a very small group of administrators um, outside of the NCA system uh, with uh, very little, uh, little to no uh, football uh, player uh, input into those big decisions. Right. And of course that uh, recently, that big decision with regard to Texas and uh, University of Texas and Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma going into the SEC, I think by what the 2024, 2025 season, which really kind of plays into all the things that you're talking about. Right. Because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you are so right that um, this idea that, the NCAA profits from college football is a misnomer because they don't. It's it's really it's the colleges and it's the college football playoff and it's the broadcast deals that those colleges sign. Um, really, what the NCAA is having an effect in terms of financially is with March Madness and the other sports and those television deals and uh, the trademarks that they own around March Madness. And you know, it's interesting. I was reading an article today about this move of. Um, University of Texas and University of Oklahoma to the SEC Southeastern Conference. And there was a hearing in Texas today in the Texas State Senate with Baylor University, Texas Tech, and Texas Christian. And they were all sort of discussing, okay, what happens to the Big 12 now? You know, the Big 12 already lost two additional schools prior to Oklahoma and Texas. Now they've lost another two. So they're really now just the Big 8, you know, with the name Big 12. So it's going to be interesting to your point about what happens with that. And, you know, um, I agree with you. I think ideally the college football playoff and the power five would have the ability to work within that scenario. And, but I, I mean, I'm kind of curious as to your thoughts, um, sort of how you kind of see some of that stuff playing out, you know, with regard to these schools realigning, you know, I, I was sort of making guesses earlier and going, well, maybe Kansas fits in the ACC, you know, because they're a basketball school or what have you. But I just kind of curious on your thoughts on that, if you can comment on that. Yeah, I, I think uh, I'd like to make, you know, kind of one overarching comment with regard to the current realignment and reshuffling. And, and it's the similar driver that occurred back, you know, uh, 10 years ago when, when there was even more schools involved in, in a realignment. But again, the driving force is football, TV, money. And, and the conference media deals um, now really just dwarf what the NCAA brings in off of March Madness. So just to give you an example, back in 2005, um, if you combined the Power Five conference media deals and compared that then to what they received from the NCAA from the March Madness tournament, the NCAA tournament was about one quarter uh, of their 
you know, of what they were bringing in primarily off their football uh, media contract. And today, that, that differential, the, the basketball money is less than a tenth. And it's, you know, by the time all this reshuffling occurs, it's going to be smaller than that. So the, the takeaway there is that the NCAA basketball money uh, is, is fairly insignificant to the Power Five conferences. And that's a very, very different reality than uh, what the finance were in 2005 and, and frankly, you know, much earlier in the 90s when, when this uh, men's basketball contract first went into effect. So, again, they're, they're driven by uh, the football TV market. That's what's making these decisions. And, you know, I think a lot of these conferences, if, if the system were structured a little bit differently, you probably would see um, football conferences and then you would see a different realignment around other sports. And, you know, it's so that kind of thinking that, um, you know, I think we need to see more of, and, and we've been pushing to ensure that, again, the incentives are in place so that, um, you know, we, we still have a commitment and, and opportunities and all the other, these other sports, these, these other sports that, you know, really don't get the attention they deserve until uh, an Olympic year. Uh, we're all enjoying all of these sports. And, and I think I saw a stat that over 75% of Team USA, you know, competed in their sport in college. And, you know, again, with all the focus on, on football and, and some of the ways the revenues are allocated, uh, we're just concerned that some of those other opportunities are going to go away in the future unless the incentives inside the, the shared revenues, the, sh the shared revenue distributions, unless there's major changes made to those. Right. No, really good points there. And it's, you know, I, I, you really, you got me really excited and I'm, I'm sort of curious how this is all going to play out in the future. And I think at the very baseline, it's great that now, we have these college athletes being able to sort of make money, money off their name, image, and likeness. And one of the points that I brought up in last week's podcast was this idea that imagine all the student athletes that uh, had huge college careers, but were not able to profit off that. Or imagine all the college athletes that, um, you know, sort of were in that circumstance and just didn't have the ability or the opportunity to do it. And, uh, and of course now NIL kind of presents that, you know, where, um, you know, regardless of your circumstance, you can kind of have an opportunity, regardless of your circumstance, post-college, you can have the opportunity to make some additional money. Um, so I, I think that it opens up, it opens up an even a larger discussion as to your point with regard to, you know, realignment and what the power five does. And I think at least just, just starting, starting a discussion on that. And of course, the other piece to this is now we have, as you mentioned earlier, the uh, you had some involvement with the developmental league, which is now the G League for the NBA. Uh, their sort of work in the professional pathways program and, and sort of having um, high school graduates come in and, and sort of skip college to take that route, or even this overtime elite league, which is going to pay high school athletes. And that's been a whole nother can of worms, right? Because now uh, it looks like some states are allowing high school athletes to profit from name, image, and likeness. 
So I, I think for me, the biggest thing is always, and I'd love to get your opinion on this. And then we'll, um, I'll ask you one last, one last question is what are your thoughts on, you know, I've often said that uh, the market would be a lot better if people had more options, meaning that if you look at baseball, hockey, and soccer, there's a choice there. There's a choice to either go and become pro and get drafted or go into minor leagues or independent leagues or go play overseas. Uh, whereas in um, basketball and football up until more recently with basketball, you basically had to go to the NCAA to have your chance to get drafted. So I've always said, you know, it'd be nice if there was more options in terms of people, people being able to choose. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Do you feel like that's a, a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I think it's, it's good that the other sports do have options. Um, the reality though, and this is, this is going back to the, the big engine driving the landscape of college sports is football because it's too expensive um, to, to create a successful minor league in football. That's, it's been tried. And I think there, there are some who continue to try, but it, it is the only sport that that has a difference um, when compared to the other uh, sports in college, and and particularly with the evolution of of the G League um, and and some of these other leagues that allow high school um, elite high school players to go straight from high school into a um, you know now a, a, a very good starting salary in some of these leagues. Um, um, so a much more legitimate minor league system. So, I mean, that's, that's still going to be an issue that, that college sports is going to need to address in, in ways that it hasn't in the past um, in terms of the difference uh, with football uh, than, than the other sports in terms of players, you know, really not having that kind of a, a choice. I did want to, Jeremy, before we uh, finish up, I, I did want to note, just one of the other real positives of the NIL opportunities, and you alluded to this, but you know, understanding uh, branding, understanding contracts and obligations, uh, all of those things, you know, are part of NIL, and, and we are aware of a number of schools and companies that are doing a great job of educating athletes about all the components and essentials. And so that's, that's going to present just, you know, another kind of real life opportunity for athletes um, looking to uh, make, to, to get involved in, with companies in, in terms of endorsements. Um, but it also, you know, again, highlights the need for uh, there to be education in place so that athletes aren't taken advantage of in terms of signing uh, signing away some NIL rights that maybe they uh, didn't intend to. So uh, a really important opportunity for college athletes, and and uh, we're excited to to see that opportunity that they get to experience. Right. No, and I agree. And such an important point there. Um, I think some of these opportunities. I mean, there was that that story that, about the University of Miami that signed a deal, and it looks like the deal that. Uh, for some of these athletes was basically like in perpetuity. It was like lifelong. I don't even know if that's even enforceable um, from a legal standpoint, but that, but, you know, to you, to your point um, it's, it's sort of essential to get 
behind and in front of this stuff and trying to figure out sort of what the next steps are. And one little quick comment on that. And then I'll ask you one last question is this, you know, one of the things I I feel like baseball is going to benefit from this, particularly college baseball, because um, one of the things not really being talked about is during the summer of, well, I guess it was the off season of 2020 during the height of the pandemic, major league baseball contracted its minor league system. And so they went from, you know, I think they took away, you know, uh, I forget the number of teams, but I think it was somewhat close to half of the minor league teams. And of course they also reduced the rounds of the major league baseball draft from 40 to 20. So of course all those players have to go somewhere now. And they're, I think, you know, would ideally go to college and would go to the NCAA route. And now with this NIL stuff in place, we might see an increase in broadcast deals and also an increase in some movement there. So I'm, I'm kind of curious how that's going to play out uh, for those, um, for those folks. And then sort of one last question for you, Amy, and again, appreciate you being with us. Uh, so insightful and you got so much great information and really appreciate the work that you're doing and, and leading the cause there uh, for the Knight Commission as CEO. So one last question is sort of what's your word of advice for uh, folks trying to break into sports um, and, and to sort of, you know, you talked about your path earlier, but maybe let's close on that thought. Sure, Jeremy. I think the words of advice, um, and I think this applies, you know, for really any, any career endeavor, not just sports, but, you know, again, just the importance of relationships and um, using your network to learn from people and, and asking for advice. You know, people generally want to help uh, people they know. And, um, um, you know, I think, and then also as it relates to that is, you know, taking every job that you have and, and doing it the best way that you can. Um, and, and not thinking, you know, t- taking particularly for younger professionals who, you know, may not want to, uh, as an example, volunteer for, um, to help out, to do a job that, that they think, you know, might be beneath their expertise, but there are things that we all can learn from and and do. And, and so I think taking advantage of, of opportunities and doing the best you can with that particular job and, and building and valuing relationships, um, are my, words of advice. No, I love that. No, good advice, Amy. And appreciate you being with us again, um, to, uh, to chat. And again, everybody, this has been, uh, Amy Perko, who is the chief executive officer of the Knight commission on intercollegiate athletics, really appreciate her time and being with us. So, uh, Amy, wish you the best and look forward to chatting with you soon. Thanks so much, Jeremy. All right. Thanks, everybody. Look forward to being back with you next week. Thank you.
for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.